Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And joining us today is Robert Rice. Robert is a pioneer in the AR, VR, and XR sector. In fact, he's the guy that coined the term XR. Uh, he's a futurist, an author, a speaker, and we're delighted to have him on the podcast this evening. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, guys. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Robert, XR is such an umbrella term and a term that um, some of our listeners are familiar with, others are not. But in terms of extended reality, how did you come up with that title? And can you talk about the different domains within extended reality? Uh, sure. Um, so the short answer is, is mostly convenience. Um, I got tired of telling people, hey, I do AR and VR and MR and you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. So I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I need to find just something that's easy. So uh, I sat down and thought about it. And I kind of like to be a little or at least I think I'm clever sometimes. So I thought, hey, X is good because, you know, it, it's it's cross, it's trans, it's, you know, X marks the spot. Um, it just kind of fit. Plus it looks cool. I mean, who doesn't like the letter X, right? It's great. And the only other alternative was maybe an N because, you know, there's N this or that, but no, X was cooler. So I went with, uh, with XR and, um, you know, started using it and I'm guessing it caught on. I don't get a lot of credit for it. I probably don't self-promote as much as I should. Um, but uh, yeah, so in terms of all the domains it covers, um, it's pretty much, if you look at all the really cool uh, interactive and immersive medias, you know, we've got virtual reality, which pretty much everybody knows, um, augmented reality, which is still fairly new to a lot of people, but it's very much, uh, you know, Iron Man vision, right? Or cool. Terminator vision, as I like to say, or Pokemon vision, I guess is probably everybody knows that now. Yeah. Um, and then other variations along the way, like mixed reality, for example which is uh, really more of an academic term. That's another type of, of augmented reality. And I try not to use it because it just confuses people. Um, Have you heard the term augmented virtuality? Yeah, yeah. So, so years ago, somebody did a, um, a spectrum and it was like, it was called the virtuality spectrum. And it was like, you know, you've got augmented on one end, virtual on the other end, mixed in the middle. And then like uh, more augmented virtual than more virtual augmented and the, the virtuality ish sort of one was kind of closer to the one side. And I was like, guys, this is great for a white paper or people that, you know, <laughs> breathe this all the time, but I'm not going to try to explain six of these things to somebody. Um, so, but, but in, in terms of thinking about the XR stuff, and this is one area where, and you know, I guess it caught on a little too fast because there's probably 50 definitions out there, but most people are looking at it as an umbrella term for, the spectrum of all the technologies, you know, kind of like a like a horizontal sort of line, and kind of what I meant for it to be was an umbrella term that uh, encompasses it all and makes it all related, like two sides to the same coin. So it's a little bit of a difference. Instead of endpoints, it's more like all of it together. And when you think about augmented reality being about where you are, you know, what is around me, show me some cool stuff, I'm here in my living room or my office, and then virtual reality being me going somewhere else into a fully immersive environment where I may need to have a, you know, a heads-on display or something along those lines. I thought, you know, if we get back to my X marks the spot sort of idea and think about the world from the ground up as opposed to the cloud down, let's start with location. Uh, Cause you know, location is king as I like to say in real estate. But location provides context and it provides relevance. Who you are, where you are, what you're doing, what's around you, who is around you, you know, so on and so forth. So the idea is if you start off with your location and then maybe 
you know, any kind of uh, sensor or IoT device or, you know, smartphone or, you know, Amazon Alexa in the corner or whatever as data sources, as well as, you know, your room, like the walls, the floor and ceiling. And then the next step up being the augmented sort of bit where now I'm getting data visualizations and cool graphics and, you know, fun Pokemon or whatever. But keep going up the stack, you get to the point where the next one up is a VR environment or what they call a digital twin of your place. So imagine your house or your basement in 3D, you know, one-to-one -one scale that's mapped equally to the real world. So now you guys could log into my house with a VR, you know, sort of setup, have little avatars, you know, moving around. But because it's a one-to-one -one scale, I know where your avatar is. Now, because uh, it's matched, I can have an, an avatar, a hologram of you kind of in my living room that I can see in AR and then vice versa. I know where I'm at in my living room. So why don't I have a, an avatar of me up in the VR environment? Right. So now you've got this really wicked cool stack. And then on top of all of that, you've got another type of VR, which is just a custom created, you know, whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be that exact match. So you could uh, say have a, you know, Minecraft world linked to my house or something. And oh. it's this whole stack here where you've got all the IOT and the uh, you know, Internet of Things sensors and whatever. We've got AI driven holograms, we've got machine learning, computer vision. You know, all the acronyms you can think of suddenly fit this really nice stack. And like it's all of these together that I really wanted to refer to as XR, because when you start combining things and get this seamless blend between, you know, all of it together, you start opening up a whole lot of other really interesting opportunities for, for collaboration, for, for education, obviously. Um, and, you know, you can start doing some of the cool things we see in all the awesome movies, right? And if you think about like Minority Report or something, it's not easy having holograms that know, you know, that when you walk into a store that suddenly respond to you and do all that sort of stuff, it's way more than just a holographic projector. There's a right. lot of other moving pieces that you need to do those types of experiences. And when you think about XR in my little kind of explanation here, suddenly those things like, oh, wow, now I know I can do that. And now I know how to fit these pieces together. Whereas before, if you treat AR and VR and some of these other things as different pieces of a, of a horizontal spectrum, it's not readily clear how do you make that happen. So that's sounds, the short answer. Nice. <laughs> so it sounds like XR to you is both a descriptive term, but also a prescriptive term, because it sounds like you're, by using that term, advocating for kind of a, a seamless integration of very different technologies, or at least technologies that the consumer is going to perceive as very different, right? Uh, 100%. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can still have, you know, your, your AR Pokemon Go or your VR uh you know star wars or whatever and those are all you know awesome as they are but when you start thinking about things like uh the metaverse is probably another good example most people when you say the metaverse they think oh my gosh you know multi-connected virtual worlds it's going to be great and i can go anywhere but that's really more of a multiverse when you when you start getting you know, academic and looking at the word meta right it means it's across it, it covers you know all the other sort of things so that's another word i, I try to guide people like slightly different definition and to me the metaverse is all of those things together you know it's whether it's ready player one's oasis or or the matrix or you know all that it's more than just a vr environment you have to have those links to to the real world to real data real data sources and you know, all the other fun pieces you know identity and security and privacy and all that sure. together and that really is as you said what i'm kind of prescribing is this this ultimate thing that we all want to build you can't just work in one of these individual silos. You have to bring it all together. 
Um, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do. So Robert, you've uh, been involved with this technology since the 90s. In fact, uh, we were reading up on your background and it says that you were involved with making Wolfenstein uh, into virt a virtual reality experience, which you have to be a real original gamer like the two of us are uh, to even know what Wolfenstein is. Kids, that's what came before Doom. Um, so tell us a little bit about what drew you in personally to this technology. How'd you get hooked in, back in the 90s? Yeah, so I was I got really lucky. Uh, there's a there's a much longer story here, which which I will, I will spare you of. Um, but my my first business was a was a comic book store. Uh, I had started in Louisville, Kentucky, where my dad had retired, and uh, a friend of mine had a massive comic collection. Uh, Derek is a great guy, and we thought, hey, we, we could start a business with this. <laughs> we could sell some of his collection, um, and then you know we wanted to do you know collectible toys and uh, you know, anime and you know games and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and everything was great for about six months. And then the uh, uh, DC decided to kill Superman. Uh, it, was, it was, yeah, that was the year, right? Uh, it was a really, really big deal. And we're like, oh my God. And, you know, we had the limited number of like the bagged copies. We were selling them for like $75 a shot and we couldn't keep up with people coming in the door begging for them. And uh, so like right after that, my business like dropped to zero. <laughs> Nobody cared anymore. Like they killed Superman. What, what's next? I'm like, hey guys, you're still Marvel, right? Um, so I was sitting there in, in our store with, with my with my, my my best friend Derek, and you know we were like, how are we going to keep the electricity on? You know, rents due. We we're so screwed. Nobody's coming back anymore. You know what's going on? Uh, and this guy walks in uh, one day, uh, Andrew Andrew Prell, uh, and says, "Hey, I've got this cool uh, virtual reality machine. Can I put it in your store to kind of test it?" And I'm like, "Guys, it's a comic book store. You don't have to ask. You just bring that stuff in and set it up wherever you want it. You know, duh." Um, and, and so he did. And, um, you know, that was kind of kind of the beginning and people were coming in like, oh, my God, this is really cool. You know, you would get in for two or three minutes and then you would pull off the headset and try not to puke. I mean, because it's like it's like these really small 320 by 200 lenses smashed right up against your eyes. Um, and then uh, one day he he, uh, he came to me. It's like, hey, uh, you know how to use a computer, right? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I'm in the back of the back storeroom on an old Tandy TL2, you know, 16 color, you know, whatever, 2400 baud modem trying to pick up girls in CompuServe, right? Cause that's how I roll. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, I know how to use a computer. And psh, you know, I can write batch files all day long. And I know the difference between expanded memory and extended memory, right? Cause you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kick ass. And he's like, cool, you want a job? I was like, oh yeah, sure. So he gave me a copy of, um, it was a 3D studio, a pre-release version and a copy of deluxe paint. Uh, no manuals for either one of the two. And he's like, okay, go figure this out. I need you to do 3D stuff. So I did. And, you know, there was no YouTube. There were no, there was nowhere to go for this stuff. So I just was like, you know, click, 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 and, you know, trial and error. And I ultimately figured it out and then hired and trained an art staff. And, you know, we, we, they got some some funding and things were going on. And and then later on, it's like, hey, uh, you play an instrument, right? It's like, yeah, you know, play saxophone, college jazz band. It's easy. He's great. You're our new sound engineer. Here's a sampler, a synthesizer, and a digital audio recorder. Go do sound effects. And I was like, how the hell do I do sound effects? Um, so I had to do that too. And in the process of all this, he started, you know, taking me like all the trade shows and all that. So I got a really broad experience of just like learning all the things about, you know, business and startups and tech and whatever at the time. And then somewhere in there, Andy managed to talk um, uh, it into licensing us, um, you know, Wolfenstein 3D, which we converted to Wolfenstein VR. And then we made it multiplayer, which was like mind blowing at the time because you just didn't do multiplayer stuff, much less, you know, VR arcade games. 
and uh it was uh yeah it was a lot of fun and you know one of my my first jobs there was going in and editing the pixels because it was uh there wasn't true 3d it was like sprite based right so you're seeing a whole lot of sprites really fast but we had to get rid of all the um the nazi symbology and we had to make you know all the the red blood you know yellow and green because we were trying to do some you know other sales and whatever yeah. and i didn't know what a gradient was so i'm in there pixel 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 changing the color modifying it when i could have just done a selection set slapped in a gradient and like been done with it so yeah the moral of the story there is uh uh you know re read the manual <laughs> if there is one right if if there is one yeah for sure there is one that's like a friend of mine used to say the greatest ability sometimes is availability right 100 <laughs> percent. yeah i'm so jealous of everybody now like you know you to me and youtube and everything else like i can pick up a new skill in 10 minutes like oh yeah okay yeah well, you, you, you know, I'm so curious about your work as a futurist because obviously this technology has huge implications on uh, human capital and education in particular. What do you think um, in the school space has jumped the shark since COVID and how does our new environment uh, play into VR's hands or extended reality's hands? Yeah, so so that's actually it's a very interesting question. I think the idea of of AR and VR both uh, have been you know widely accepted as potentially the future of education, and if not the future of education, certainly a core piece or element to it, because you can literally take any student anywhere with VR and put them in an entirely new world, new experience. You want to see what it's like being in the ocean exploring, you know, submarine. You want to go to Mars and kind of walk around over there. Do you want to uh, scale yourself down and watch cell mitosis happening? I um, mean, you know, like all that's possible with VR. And then on the AR side, it, it's it's instead of you going to different environments, you're able to do other types of interactions. So, for example, you know, when I, when I took chemistry in high school, it was a real pain in the neck. Um, you know, maybe we got lucky with some wooden models and Legos to try to do stuff. But with AR, you know, I can put on a pair of glasses or you know hold up my phone or whatever, and see amazing interactions between chemicals and bonding, and you know I can like manipulate it and do stuff in a way that I can't necessarily without that sort of technology, um, or you know other things. You can make all kinds of concepts easier to learn. You know whether it's picking up a language, VR environments are great for that, or doing stuff with um, you know math or chemistry. Again, AR is perfectly good for those things. So, so both of these texts can be just amazing enablers for, for education students in any environment, anywhere. I mean, imagine being in the inner city, you know, maybe you've got a school field trip. You're not necessarily going to travel out of state or across country or internationally, especially if you're in a lower income, you know, sort of school, or even if you're at home, uh, there's just a lot of, a lot of issues here. So while all the tech is great and people can certainly see where these things are going, um, the industry has been a little uh, stilted in the sense of there's still a little bit of a cost barrier on the VR side. You know, yes, they're cheaper now, but years ago, you know, they were not cheap. So accessibility is getting getting better. Um, but I think the big the big uh, the holding block right now is really content creation. There's not a lot of educational VR content or tracks or programs. And the same thing with AR. There's a lot of cool one-off apps that do novelty fun things that may be educational but there's not like a um a sophisticated thing that teachers can just grab customize and you know put out for their kids so right. i think there, there's still a little bit of work to go and and you know we'll get there um but it just it takes a little bit of time what do you but, think about environments like engage or other multiplayer environments where you can 
kind of conduct class in the metaverse. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's where I was. That's where I was going next. COVID was really interesting because you know, a it punched everybody in the throat like right off the bat, right? And for many people, it still is a punch in the throat. But for AR and VR, whether it's on the business side or the education side or whatever, it suddenly made people sit up and go, oh, wow, we really need to, you know, double down on this because we got to obviously teach our kids and stuff. So we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, platforms or tools, whether it's game tech or, you know, something else is kind of being um, backwards engineered to some degree or just jammed into new, you know, we'll use whatever we got and we'll figure it out as we go sort of thing. Um, so there's a little bit of innovation that's beginning to happen to take something that's meant for this and using it for this. So when you think about, for example, like a Zoom call like we're doing now or some other you know, video oriented teaching platforms for kids, that's great because they get to see each other, they get to talk and all that. But there's been a little bit of research that there's, there's actually some other uh, mental and emotional pressures or fatigue that occurs with being on video way too long, right? You yeah. feel like you have to be on, you can't really, you know, rub your eyes or sneeze or blink or, or get distracted by the cat, you know, or whatever. You have to be looking at other people in the eye constantly. In a real world social environment, I can disengage, I can step back, I can look away, I can turn my body a little bit and have like these subconscious, you know, relief valves. But in a video environment, I'm facing you, I'm looking directly at your face, like nonstop, and that has you know it, it, it takes a little bit out of you. But in a, interesting because it's a little bit counterintuitive, but it sounds like you're saying that basically VR might be the easier option for or introverted students than a simple Zoom call would be. Oh, a hundred hundred percent. Yeah, because you know, especially for I mean, I'm an introvert too, by the way. Regardless of how fast I talk, I'm completely an introvert. Um, you know, I don't do well in large rooms with hundreds and hundreds of people and I hate speaking on stage. I have to go back and like decompress later, right? Um, But in a VR environment, uh, not only do you have the ability to like move around and disengage and go in the corner, you know, or or take in a big scene and kind of determine what you want to do. It's also easier to have one-on-one communications because you and I can go off to the side and have a chat as opposed to me trying to direct message you and keep up with a big chat room and all that at the same time. But more importantly, you have the avatar. And the avatar is a great way for self-expression, you know, right. so, you, you know, I can be a 3D Pac-Man or I could be, a, I don't know, a vampire, you know, whatever, whatever I want or a robot. Um, but it's also gives uh, that little bit of buffer and helps things to be a little more vicarious. So, and if you look at actually like MMO research going back, you know, 10 or 20 years, there's a good body of work out there that, that dives into some of this where you've got introverted people or, or uh, people that are you know, physically disabled or handicapped or you know, whatever, and they have some issue or some self-confidence problem or whatever. When you give them an avatar, they're able to uh, act differently, experience things vicariously, or um, it's just like with role-playing games. A lot of people have a very difficult time, like in D&D or whatever, role-playing a character that's 180 degrees different from what they are. Most people tend to role play a personality that's a reflection of themselves or an idealized version of themselves in a different environment, right? Inside, I wanna be the great big burly hero. So my character is probably gonna be a big bulky paladin that, that saves the day. Um, yeah, it's not always the case because you know sometimes we all wanna be an evil you know, rogue dwarf or whatever, um, but it still lets people have that, that separation. So in an educational perspective with an avatar, you can engage the quieter kids because it's not 
them that's in the spotlight. It's the avatar that's in the spotlight. It's the avatar that's speaking. It's the avatar that's trying something and maybe failing or succeeding. So they're able to do things and even be more, more assertive, more talkative, more whatever, because they kind of, uh, you know, leverage again, that vicarious personification maybe. Um, and it becomes easier. And so that's a huge benefit psychologically, you know, mental health, emotional health and everything. Um, but you still have the downsides. Go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just going to say that's absolutely fascinating because I, I mean, it sounds like the science is starting to come back around and the, the technology is starting to come back around to something that, um, some of us have known for 40 years now, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons, which is that this is a really neat opportunity for kids that struggle socially to be able to try on, uh, different personalities, like you were saying. And so, mm -hmm. um, it, again, it's counterintuitive because VR, I think, strikes a lot of people, at least initially, as being so in your face and so immersive that you think it would cater to the extroverted students, or you think it would cater to the people that don't struggle socially. But really, what you're saying is that this is this is for uh, my fellow D&D nerds. Uh, yeah, yeah, 100%. And the other thing here, too, is, and, and this is where, you know, everybody plays fast and loose with a lot of terms. I think that when we say VR, 99% of the time, we mostly mean a 3D environment. We right. don't always mean a 3D environment that requires the, the VR headset, right? I mean, right. VR by definition is a fully immersive, but when you think about what a virtual reality is, that's World of Warcraft, it's Minecraft, it's Call of Duty, it's Fortnite, it's any 3D environment, right? So if you take out the requirement of having that 100% immersion head-mounted display and think about it's just a 3D environment I can access through a web browser or through a downloadable client. Suddenly it's accessible to everybody. I mean, you can run stuff on a Chromebook, you know, it doesn't have to be photorealistic um, as long as it's interactive. Uh, so you make it way more accessible. Um, and then, yeah, you know, getting back to, to the point though, it's letting students have those sort of opportunities really opens things up. And I can, I can practice how I speak. I can practice my social skills or, you know, if you want to teach other things like, uh, like empathy or, or, or even, even like in racial issues, you know, why do we always have to have white avatars? Why can't I have a brown or yellow or a green or, or a black or, or, uh, um, you know, a, a spotted avatar, I mean, whatever, you know, let, let kids have that, that ability to, to try and experiment and, and then think about, you know, what it's like being in, in somebody else's shoes. What is it like? Okay. A perfect example. And a lot of uh, hardcore MMO guys will tell you this. If you want to get a lot of free stuff, play a hot, sexy avatar, right? Guy avatars will come out of nowhere. They will give you stuff constantly, but then you also have to deal with all the private messages, all the DMs, all the sexual innuendo and the constant barrage of being right. hit on. And it's like, wow, I had no idea, you know, women gamers, you know, had to deal with this. No wonder it's at least, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, it was so hard for girls to, you know, be a gamer, break into the gamer, you know, sort of, sort of world. So there's a tremendous amount of benefits in and out of, you know, education straight across the board for, for kids. And again, actually, being able to have that distance, I think is the important piece. For sure. I've actually seen, uh, Adam uh, do exactly that sort of thing that you're describing here. Adam has used Derek Ham's uh, I Am A Man uh, VR experience to that exact point. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I Am A Man basically allows you to be um, a black sanitation worker during the sanitation worker strike in Memphis. Oh, and wow. you actually experience um, MLK's assassination and wow. uh, the, the, briefly the aftermath of that. And um, 
that actually makes me think of another point that I wanted to raise with you, which is that, you know, when Adam and I talk about VR, AR, XR in education, we're, we're met with a lot of skepticism by teachers. We're met with a lot of skepticism by parents for that matter. Um, but having watched Adam convert people over to VR via the power of some of these experiences, I'm wondering, um, have you faced some of that same skepticism? And if so, um, other than just saying like, here, come put these goggles on, how do you convince parents and teachers and, and even skeptical administrations like, no, 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 this is actually gonna benefit your child's education? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, it, it, let, me, let me address that from the business perspective first. Um, sure. The easy thing is to, to get a convert is always to just pop the head mounted display on them and let them just experience something. Because that makes it real to them like, oh my God, I get it now. And, and even like a diehard skeptic, like, look, dude, just five minutes, just try this out, I promise. Um, but you can't always do that if you're trying to, you know, pitch somebody in another state or over the phone, or if you've got a room of 20 people at a PTA meeting or whatever, it's not feasible to give them all that unique experience. So that, that's one thing. The second thing you get is a, it's a cultural sort of deal. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've literally been evangelizing AR and VR and 3D and, you know, whatever tech for a really long time. And, you know, when I go out and talk to investors or other, you know, business partners or whatever, there's always that one or two or three people in the room that are like, I don't get this. I would never use this myself. Uh, I don't see the market for it. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, do you have kids or grandkids? Yes. Have you, have, have they come up to you and asked you for money to spend on Fortnite skins? Yes. Okay. You just made my business case for me. You know, it's like a, like if, if I was a guy and I've got a new business selling lingerie and I'm talking to a male investor, he's like, well, I would never wear lingerie. There can't be a market here. I'm like, uh, hello, duh. you know, there is a market just because you may not be the ideal customer for it doesn't mean as it's just not a massive market. And sometimes examples like that really help, you know, like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I should maybe, you know, relook at this. But from an educational perspective, there's actually, um, oh my gosh, uh, I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't think of her name. There's a, there's a husband and wife uh, couple down here uh, in Raleigh, or, or rather South Raleigh. They went and they bought a trailer and they hooked it up with a whole bunch of uh, VR headsets and gear and whatever. So they can handle, I think, uh, it's like 10 or 20 students at a time. And they went and they took like a whole year and they built out a couple of like really small, simple courses. And they literally just started driving around to schools like, hey, you know, let, 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 just give us an afternoon. We'll come in and we'll run a couple of classes through this stuff. And, you know, because we really want to, you know, evangelize and promote AR and I'm sorry, VR and immersive technology as a learning platform. And they met with a lot of skepticism right up front. And, you know, the schools were like, well, how much is this going to cost? And, you know, is there safety issues, you know, and how are kids going to respond to blah, blah, blah. And it's too hard for them to learn and tie tech. And they're like, no, 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 look, we'll do it for free. Just let us set up in the parking lot, whatever, and give it a shot. And then suddenly, you know, kids, kids take the technology like fish take the water, right? You don't even have to, they don't, kids don't need manuals, you know, oddly enough. Um, and, you know, so they started cycling kids through and then, uh, then a couple of teachers and teachers were like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. I had no idea. And the kids are like, oh my gosh, when are they going to come back? You know, we want our friends in the other class to, to try this. Um, uh, our meeting's about to end in 10 minutes, we'll have to restart. Um, you know, and it, and it was like, they got such a really good response and they had to do that a number of times to start building up uh, a body of work as it were. So now when they go to a different school in a different district or different county, 
they have the references, they have the glowing reports, they have the excited students. And so it's taking some time, but having those real world use cases and people that you can call and talk to, yes, they were here and it was an amazing thing in our school, I think helps a lot. You know, if you can't give somebody that direct demo, that, that, that validation that comes from other people that have done it and said, wow, this is definitely where things are going, um, I think is, is your next best bet. It makes a lot of sense. So, you know, in terms of your work as a futurist, um, what are you telling people to do who want to position themselves well for to take advantage of the, the economic opportunities in VR? Hmm. First, you have, you have to assume it's coming. Um, I, I think we're at a point now where it's almost a foregone conclusion, right? VR and AR are here. It's still very nascent, very early. We're still taking, as advanced as everything is, we're still taking baby steps and there's still a lot to learn, uh, which, is, which is good and bad. Um, on the bad side, there's still a lot to do and a lot to learn and God only knows what devices are gonna look like in five or 10 years. You know, Will Apple's AR glasses be awesome? Will somebody finally come out with, you know, direct brain interface or some really cool matrix experiences, you know, what, what's still coming? But the flip side of the coin, even though, you know, AR and VR in particular have been researched to death and there's a massive body of work and some of this tech has been around since the 60s. I mean, it's like it's old tech. Uh, it's still very, very, very fertile ground in a, in a blank canvas. So even if you don't necessarily get everything or understand everything or feel like there's too much momentum and there's too many companies and there's too much money, that doesn't mean anything. It is fresh and early for people with interesting ideas or, or can be innovative or creative to come in and blaze a path of their own and, and help define what the next you know, 5, 10, 20, 30, even 50 years looks like. Um, in ways that you're not going to see in very many other industries that are just, you know, we build cars and like, there's not a lot of, you know, new car, unless you get to flying cars, there's not, you know, a whole lot of innovation going on there. But with, uh, with AR and VR, it, it's, it's like, but somebody once described uh, AR as the eighth mass media and, and, and it, that does things that even VR doesn't do, right? You know, you've got like print and radio and TV and the web and everything, but AR is a way to do mass, you know, mass market, mass communications, mass experiences. Um, but it and also VR can be applied to pretty much nearly every industry vertical that's out there. And the use cases are, are staggering. There's, there's not much you can throw at me where I can't come up with a way to use AR or VR. I actually had a guy throw cemeteries at me once and I smacked him down with, you know, historical holograms that you can, you know, reach out to and learn from. He was like, okay, fine, you win. Um, but yeah, I mean, they should be encouraged and not, not afraid to dip in your toes and experiment. 360 videos of the deceased coming up from holograms. Oh, <laughs> well, so, so that's actually, that, that's already future one. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, well, that's a sketchy area that we have to be a little bit careful of uh, for a whole variety of reasons, but it's a valid use we case. Great you Halloween know? Special. We got a great Halloween deal for you. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh well okay now hold on now so this is where this is how you monetize stuff right we think about uh you know what epic is making 200 300 million dollars a month letting people buy skins right so i've sure. got the holograph hologram of my avatar or my, my grandfather right well for an extra 29.95 i can make him look like a you know dia los muertos uh, sort of skeletal yeah. whatever or he was a star wars fan that's another 50 dollars i can you know customize customize grandpa <laughs> Earth grandfather. 
So go. the way we're going to do this, since we got five minutes, we're going to do the Furious Five, and then we're going to come back in with some bonus in a new Zoom call. So we're going to do our Furious Five and and finish out this episode, but then come in with a with a bonus session uh, with a little bit of a after hours questions for you. Okay, sure. So Robert, the Furious Five is just simply five questions that uh, are meant to be quick. They're meant to be one sentence if we can manage. We can't always manage, that's okay, but they're not necessarily anything to do with what we've talked about tonight. It's more just like all about Robert here. So okay. question, question number one, what is the best meal that you've eaten recently? Uh, a trophy pizza. Best pizza at the East Coast, Raleigh, guaranteed. Oh, all right. pizza. We'll, we'll come visit you and check it out. We're going to come check it out. Question number two, what is the best movie or TV show that you've watched recently? Uh, I have to give two answers. Star Trek Discovery and The Mandalorian. Nice. Oh, okay. Nice. My son and I still need to catch up on uh, that new episode that just dropped the other night. Thanks for the reminder. Question number three, who is a social media thought leader that all of our listeners should stop what they're doing and go follow right now? Oh, uh, hmm. A social media thought leader. Um, well, just a or thought leader who's on social media. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, in that case, it would be me. Uh, no, I'll, I'll probably I'll, th I'll throw some uh, bones out to Robert Scoble. Um, he's very opinionated, but but really w worth following just to see what he has to say. And he is all over tech. So, hundred percent. Fantastic. Question four: If you were on a desert island with one piece of technology, what would it be? <laughs> uh, do I have power? Oh, sure. Yeah. All the electricity you need. It's free on this desert island. Okay. Uh, I probably have to go with the toaster because, you know, toast makes everything better. There you go. There you go. Question number five, and perhaps most importantly, if you were given the choice between fighting one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses, which would you choose and why? Ugh. I would probably go with the horse-sized duck because I would put that baby into submission and learn to ride it. There you go. Okay. Nice. There I like it. I like it. Nice. And, and uh, we we always like to, you know, once we get through the Furious Five, we like to end with a contrarian question. That's it. What is the thing that you know to be true about VR, AR, XR that many of your colleagues in this space who are competing with you would disagree with you on? <laughs> Oh, oh, that's a, that's a very fertile question. Um, they're doing it wrong. Wow. So you got to okay. say more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right, right idea, wrong implementation. Uh, I'll fight you to the death. Or if, if you really want to take it a step further. Uh, now, I, I'll just leave it at that because these are short answers. But now I have a whole theory about how no, everything no, no. from... We have two minutes. Give well, us a little... Uh, we, can, we can come back and do okay. this as bonus content. This may be bonus content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's do that. soon on the epilogue to Ready Teacher One, Episode 7, will be Robert expounding on why it is that everyone has the right technology but is doing it wrong. The wrong implementation. Mm. Mm. Robert, we can't thank you enough for hanging out with us tonight. This conversation has been absolutely fascinating. If folks want to find you on social media, where can they go? Um, you can search for me on LinkedIn, which is super easy, or you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's my name, at Robert Rice. Robert, huge thank you. We will be back 
Guys, if you want to hear the answer to the implementation question, stay with us for the epilogue. Cool, thank you. Thanks, Robert.